jobs. There are engineers that are working in 7-Elevens. There are computer experts working in service stations. There are airline pilots that may be digging ditches. Now, there's nothing wrong with 7-Elevens, service stations, or digging ditches. I'm just talking about the fact that these men were trained in fields that have made them overqualified for the work that they are presently doing. I don't want you to misunderstand me today. I don't want to be misunderstood. But most of us here today are overqualified Pentecostals. Let that sink deep. And let me say it again. I say most of us, and I include myself, that are here today are overqualified Pentecostals. Are you ready to go? All right. Paul became really stirred up at the church at Corinth. Somebody had placed the gospel in the realm of the foolish. And after knowing what all the gospel had done for him and for his own life, I can almost see him as he takes a long breath and his face is now red with indignation and knowing that he was about to speak to a group of educated Greeks. This is what he said. Let no man deceive himself. And this is out of the Amplified. If anyone among you supposes he is wise in this age, let him discard his worldly discernment and recognize himself as dull, stupid, and foolish without true learning and scholarship. Let him become a fool that he may become really wise. For this world's wisdom is foolishness, absurdity, and stupidity with God. Now he was talking not to sinners, but to the church in Corinth. And if you didn't understand what he said and my quoting it from the Amplified. This is what he simply amounted to saying. 
let him empty himself and imagine that he doesn't know anything. Now, I want to ask you this morning to do something. And I would not ask you to do something more than I would ask of myself. Can we empty ourselves and imagine? I know we can't take our minds out. But can we imagine that we don't know anything? I say the most of us here are overqualified. Can we imagine, can we get our mind in the place, in the position that we can think that we don't know anything? Let me go ahead. During the first part of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he was about to choose his disciples, there were some of the most qualified people living during his day that ever lived. There were scribes who did nothing but study and teach the law. They read daily from the writings of the prophets. They read about a coming Messiah. They were so skilled in how to argue that no one could resist them. They had every advantage. It would seem that from this elite group that our Lord would make a selection. But they were overqualified. He went up to the Sea of Galilee and he selected some fishermen. From lowly walks of life, he chose his men. For you see, he didn't want them to have anything to unlearn. He did not want them to have anything to unlearn. It was even said of them afterwards. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned. Now, you've always thought of that word in a different light, but let's think of it in another manner. They perceived that they were unlearned, they marveled. I'm not putting a premium on ignorance, but I'm telling you that we know too much. Folks, we are overqualified today. There are some ideas there are some fixed and mental fixations that we need to unlearn. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. 
He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. He had some unlearning to do. I mean a whole lot of it. And when God started with him, he struck him blind. He had to be led. And whereas he perhaps had never trembled, the Scripture said that he trembling and astonished. Everything went out of his mind. And he was sent for three years to Arabia so that his mind could be emptied out of all of the wisdom of this world so that God could pour into him some foolishness, which in the sight of the world was foolishness, but in the sight of God was wisdom. Amen. This highly educated man unlearned so much that he said, I come not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, for I have made up my mind not to know anything save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I am with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, where would you learn that, Paul? Back up on the road to Damascus. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Mm. Oh, my mind. I got it. Imagine that I don't know anything. Because you see, I want to see the power of God. I feel like I'm a bit overqualified. I've learned too much. I've got to empty it all out and become as one that is unlearned. Paul went on to say that there are things that your eye hath not seen and your ear hath not heard. It hasn't even entered into your heart the seat of your learning and affection. It hasn't even entered into your heart the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. But, but, 
He has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Oh, Paul was a little bit overqualified, but he made the descending down to the place where he knew that Gamaliel's teachings was not enough. Strict learnings from the Pharisees. He said, I'm trembling and I'm in fear when I stand before you because nothing that I can say, no amount of my wisdom is going to convince you. And if I cannot convince you with my words and my wisdom, the only thing that is going to be able to turn you around is the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! 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 Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. Schooled at every artisan and factor of the educated minds of the Egyptians. And when God was just about ready to use him, he thought he knew exactly what God wanted. And so he rose up and slew an Egyptian. But because of that, he had to go out to the backside of the desert for 40 years until his mind was all emptied out of everything that he had learned prior to that. After the 40 years was over, one day there was a bush burning. Hallelujah. And Moses dared walk over to where that bush was. And God spoke to Moses and said, pull your shoes off. Don't even try to figure it out. Just pull your shoes off. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. Hallelujah. Now, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my children go. Now, listen to the contrast between his first encounter with what he thought he should do and this second encounter after 40 years of unlearning. He said this, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Lord, I'm not eloquent. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Hath not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth. Hallelujah. And teach thee, and teach thee what Thou shalt say. Hallelujah. Oh, what an unlearning for an overqualified man. 
What an unlearning. God had to tell him something that he hadn't learned in the colleges of Egypt. Who made your mouth? Amen. Amen. Have not I the Lord? My God, sitting out there today are many of you. Amen. Are wondering just where you fit into all of this. And you might have learned a lot of things from the world. Let me tell you quickly, the world by wisdom knew not God. Then how, pray tell me, is he going to be taught to the world? How are they going to know him? It's only going to be when we have so unlearned that we are willing to let Him demonstrate through us the power and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. My mind is telling me right now, as it has on so many occasions, don't do it. Don't do it. You'll be ridiculous. They'll think you are ignorant. They'll think you are beside yourself. They'll think you are crazy. Yeah, much learning. What kind of learning? The learning that Paul got from God. You're mad. Oh, now you can sit there in this camp meeting and figure it all out. But I've just clicked my mind off. Hallelujah. Amen. I've just turned my mind off. Out of gear. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many times have you heard the story, and I venture to tell it to you again? I know that I have probably told it to you before, so don't nudge one another and say, He said that before. But you heard about the man that had a lot of operations on his spine. And he had had so many that he decided to make an intensive research into it. So he studied all the books that he could collect about the makeup of the spine. And he found out that the spine was hollow. And up through the spine went the spinal cord. And it would be attached to the base of the brain. And that every movement of the body had its origination in the brain and came down through the spinal cord to whatever part of the body was going to be enacted. If I wave at you, it starts with my brain. It happens so fast that I don't have time to think what's doing it. But it starts in the brain and comes out with the waving of my hand. 
Now that man continued his studies and found out that there were some involuntary actions of the body that short-circuited or bypassed the brain. And that when it did that, the brain didn't have anything to do with that action. Just like if you touched a hot stove, you would jerk away from it and the brain didn't have time to tell you it was involuntary. You did it without thinking. Now that was a marvelous revelation to him. But he became acquainted with some Pentecostals. And he decided he didn't like Pentecost. So he transferred his study of the spine and the brain over to Pentecost. And he said, that's exactly what kind of people they are. Everything they do bypasses the brain. And gets short-circuited somewhere in the spine. Amen. And you know what? I agree with him. Hallelujah. When I get close to a red hot move of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to jerk. Yeah. My mind doesn't have time to tell me to do it. Glory. It's an involuntary action that comes from a supernatural move that's beyond the wisdom of this world. Hallelujah! But some of you have your mind so geared down, so tight... You can't even do that much. You sat through entire services without even twitching your eyelid or your eyebrow because you're overqualified. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Just about two Sunday mornings ago, I was sitting in one of the churches in, in St. Louis, and they brought all of the children up to, to sing for the morning service. And after the children sang, the teacher said, uh, Now one of our little girls is going to play the piano and sing for us. Well, she did, and I saw a man come up with a camera, and he was taking all kind of pictures. When she got through, after quite a struggle, and I mean she struggled. Of course, that dad didn't think so. She hit a lot of wrong notes. And I was sitting there, I thought, 
without any expression on my face. But the song leader got up to lead the congregation in singing, and he, he mentioned that it was so great what the children had done. But he was rather amused when he looked around and watched Brother Becton. The facial expressions every time she hit a wrong note. I didn't realize it. I didn't mean to. But you see, for her, I was overqualified. I knew what note she should have hit to go with the other note that she was hitting. And my mind was so overly qualified until, without knowing it, I was expressing with my face an intense, I guess, feeling that you're hitting the wrong note. And when I look at some of you, Bless God! And you thought I hit the wrong note then. Because you have become the master of the smoothings of the Spirit. And you know too much When we went back to Nashville, Tennessee about six or almost seven years ago now, I have to stop and count the time that I've been gone, we had a minister of music that was simply out of this world. He was a genius. He was a maestro. He toured Russia. He played the piano in the White House for the president. He was one of the greatest musicians I have ever heard. He was our minister of music. He was also the choreographer, or whatever you call it, for the opera land. And he auditioned all year long with musicians that would play at Opera Land. And finally, when his tenure of service as our minister of music came to an end, he made this statement. Now, he had been raised in Pentecost, but he, he was a great accomplished musician. He said, I always thought that I had wanted to be a minister of music in a Pentecostal church, 
but not anymore. He said, being a minister of music to Pentecostal people is like a surgeon teaching a health class to a group of housewives. Because you see, he was so accustomed to musicians from the level of his own training that he could put a sheet of music in front of and they could read it without even gasping. But when he would come down to our little choir and try to get the altos to sing alto and the tenors to sing tenor, he said, that's just like a computer genius teaching arithmetic to first graders. He was would you say it? Overqualified. Amen. I've only used him as an illustration. He's a very fine young man. Let me tell you something. That same kind of feeling is carrying over into our spiritual walk. We have maestros that are sitting in and among us. That if God this moment should activate one of the nine gifts, you would have to figure it all out. Starting from that individual's pedigree through all of their lifetime and Try to find out some of their background before you could get into the Spirit and let God miraculously minister to us. Dr. John Alexander Mackey, one time president of the famous Princeton Theological Seminary, said, if it is a choice between the uncouth life of the Pentecostals and the aesthetic death of the older churches, I for one choose uncouth life. Oh, my, there's something within me. Right now, that wants to turn my flesh inside out and everything that I've ever known. Or you see, I'm being plagued right now. My mind is being plagued with all the times that I've seen people get out of the Spirit. And those that, that have not had the right Spirit and those that have not lived life until sometimes I sit in a move of God and my mind is programmed to see again that's the wrong spirit. They don't live the life. And I qualify everybody because my mind. But Paul said we've got to imagine that we don't know anything. We've got to empty out. We've got to empty out. Amen. 
we're overqualified for this service today when God would like to move in here, amen, and take some of us and take all of us and shake us like a reed in the wind. We sit starchly. We sit holding our seats because we're afraid that somebody is going to be the maestro of this service and figure it out and tell us that we were not in the spirit. But you will have, thus saith the Lord, the mind of Christ. under heaven educated minds but when they came to where the spirit of the Lord was moving they had to ask what meaneth this folks we need more services where the world with all of its education We'll ask the question again, what meaneth this? Just reach over and pray for the person next to you. The Bible said pray one for another. Let's distribute this faith. You preachers that are next to one another, just lock arms there. Lay your hand on your brother's shoulder or head. My God. My God, I don't ever want to lose his presence.
want you preachers as you are led of God and this is the will of God to go to someone else now and pray for them. Maybe some other preacher brother. If you saints feel led, do the same thing. This is the will of God. Let the Holy Ghost lead you to someone to pray for. Now, we are in a life-changing service here today. You heard me. In the name of Jesus, I command you. Let the Holy Ghost lead you to someone to pray with and pray for. I don't care who it is. Continue to be led of the Holy Ghost. We are in the will of God. God may lead you to someone else. God is sending revival. God is sending revival.